Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, part two, two, duh, of the free agent NFL recap and the fantasy value attached to everyone. If you want to check out part one, we did quarterbacks and tight ends. You can find that in the description of this video or podcast. I highly recommend you go check that out. Plus, I got giveaways. I got winners of the giveaways, and I have giveaways. So, the winner of the $100 DraftKings giveaway. And eventually sports will return, so you can put that $100 to good use and just save it up for the moment. We have Horden Jodges, the winner of the 100 DraftKings dollars. If you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, all you need to do is subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Download like the last three, four, or five episodes that are up there. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you enjoy about this show, and you'll be in that draw for 100 DK dollars. The winners of the $20 giveaways for DraftKings dollars from last week, we have, <clears throat> let's see here, it's far away, B. Van Ann Camp, the director number one, Ace Joker 007, 007. Bum, bum. KV underscore smooth, Windango, Tysel, and Crown Taka. You're all the winners of 20 DraftKings dollars. You want to get into a $20 DraftKings draw for this episode? Smash the like button of the video, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and tell me where you would rank Todd Gurley, now a member of the Atlanta Falcons, in your running back rankings for the next football season ppr scoring you let me know doesn't matter if you're right or wrong you are in that draw for 20 DraftKings dollars as he did in part one of the show jake seeley from theathletic.com is on the line to break down the running backs and receivers this time around jake plug again your free agency article and the fact that you can actually read it now behind the paywall at the athletic for zero dollars yeah, if you go to athletic.com slash 167, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, just go to the athletic, find the free agency column, look for one of my tweets and just grab it from there. If you click on it, you're not a subscriber. I, this is the only time, this is the perfect time you've been waiting for. 90 days, you pay zero, 90 free day trial. So that'll take you all the way up and we'll be drafting by the time that that's done. And hopefully sports will be back by that point, but you can read mine and all your favorite teams. You can go find my serial rankings, all that nonsense, anything you want. It's 90 days. You can pretty much read the entire site. Let's talk about the running backs who changed locations in the fantasy impact. We'll start with Todd Gurley. He gets cut. By the Rams, he goes to the Falcons. I love this landing spot. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I think everybody for landing spot purposes loves it, and I'm with you. Absolutely love it. Uh, the backfield, no competition there. Freeman's gone. I mean, Cadre Olsen, Ito Smith, all the rest. Nobody's Todd Gurley. The question is, what is Todd Gurley at this point? If Todd Gurley is honest about what he is, and he's close to 90-95% of what he used to be, we're talking top 10 potential, top five potential. I think the biggest question, though, is that arthritic knee. Was that knee completely shot at this point? Is it going to be something that limits him? Obviously, we're probably not looking at 25 touch Todd Gurley. But the biggest factor here was he still gets those reds. Even a down season finishes as a high in RB2 because he's getting all those touchdowns. They still, the Rams at the time, relied on him. I don't think it's going to be any different than the Falcons. Actually, I pulled the numbers, and I forget them off the top of my head. I'm going to go to the article right now talking about the red zone usage between the two teams so you have that comparison. Uh, so talking about running inside the red zone 20 and then the 10 and the 5, the Falcons actually had 53 as a team, not including Matt Ryan's two, 53 running back rushing attempts in the red zone last year with 
10 inside the five. So Todd Gurley could still put up those touchdowns if he's just on the field for 15 to 20 carries a game. So the way that I look at it right now with Todd Gurley is he's there on a short deal. They're going to run him into the ground. If he's washed up, then he's washed up, and we're probably going to know pretty quickly. I think that he has the potential. I would draft him as a top 10 running back as it stands right now. I did that draft on Saturday. I can let you know, again, it was if you missed part one of this, it's a three-sport draft, so the results are kind of wonky. But just overall running backs that went in front of Todd Gurley, who I ended up taking uh, to pair with James Conner and Joe Mixon. Uh, Let's see here. Miles Sanders went ahead of him. Leonard Fournette went ahead of him. I would would definitely take Gurley over those two guys, wouldn't you? No. Really? What? I like... Yeah, I, I agree with the use. I agree they bring them in, especially for the contract that they have. They're going to run them into the ground. Just well, running them into the ground might be a pretty crappy running into the ground. And I think that's the issue right there. Like Leonard Fournette, people don't even realize how many receptions. Like you had 100 targets last year. Like we're talking about mostly Minshew too. It's not going to change a whole lot. Leonard Fournette's due for one of the most positive regression touchdown scenarios in all of football next year. If he even sees... 95% of that use. Like maybe he loses a little bit. Maybe he gets only 80 targets, whatever it might be. So now, you know, now obviously that's like 80% of the passing game, but he sees an uptick in the running game. So almost it was one of the highest usage inside of the five yard line. I'm taking Leonard Fournette, and I could see the argument for Miles Sanders. If I want to shoot for the ceiling, I'll take Todd Gurley. If I want to take what are we take a Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders is the first time in a long time that's seen 60% of use under Doug Peterson. And as of right now, Boston Scott is in that Darren Sproles role. And that's all they have right now. Maybe they're a team that has somebody in the draft. And now we're worried about Doug Peterson. And I'll go with you 100% on Todd Gurley. But I watched Todd Gurley. Everybody did. We watched Todd Gurley last year. I think there's fewer questions health-wise than there are for David Johnson. But there's still enough for me that I'm taking Leonard Fournette every single time. And I can see the case for Miles Sanders. I just look at the situation that both of them are in. I think that just objectively, there's not a ton of difference between Gurley and Leonard Fournette, except I'm fairly confident saying the Falcons are just going to score more touchdowns as an offense. And Todd Gurley, the funnel that they're going to use him in near the goal line should be the benefactor of that. So even if there's positive regression for Leonard Fournette, that's still not a good offense. Even if you pencil him for like four more touchdowns, I could see Gurley scoring double digits pretty easily here. And if it is a situation where we've seen Atlanta not necessarily rely on one guy, but when there's only been one actual option, they have relied on that one guy. And if Gurley can hold up, he's going to be wildly involved in this passing game too. Not as like a substantial route runner, but as a dump off guy, a situation where if you just combine all the Falcons receptions in the back and give 80% of them to Gurley, all of a sudden he's looking pretty good in that Leonard Fournette-esque way too. Plus, I just think that he's better than Fournette. He's better? if What is he, though? That's the question. What is Todd Gurley? I'm not banking on that knee over a full season. I will take 1,700 yards from Leonard Fournette last year. I don't think that changes. Maybe this team doesn't score as much. I completely agree with you. The Falcons offense is better. But you're going to get 1,700 yards again from Leonard Fournette and then tell him he's only going to score three touchdowns? I don't care what offense you are. That's not going to happen two years in a row. So, I mean, it's the Julio Jones. The Julio Jones coming from the Falcons' office. Wasn't it three touchdowns a couple years ago or three or four? Like, it changed because you don't see that kind of use and only score that few amount of times. It just changes. So, look, I'm saying if Todd Gurley, if you told me right now Todd Gurley's 95% and he's going to hold up for 15, not even 16 games, just he's going to play 15 games, 95% of Todd Gurley we knew, I'm taking Todd Gurley every single time. But I don't think anybody can even say that. I don't even know if he's 90% of what he used to be. And I don't even know if he plays 10 games. I'm just taking Leonard Fournette. 
it's going to be fun to hear me backtrack on this once I hear one negative injury report like two months from now. But hey, as, <laughs> Run it stands, for the hills. as it stands right now, I'm in on Todd Gurley. I, I think that he's going to be a pretty decent value by the time this comes around. If I'm looking for I'll give you one more thing, I just because I'm going to give you these names. Sonny Michelle, LaShawn McCoy, and similar names to that. That was the yards after contact that Todd Gurley ranked with those kind of players. That is gross. I, I do appreciate that, but I think that the offense that he's going to should allow him a – there's difference between yards after contact, too. You keep talking about, like, if you point to a stat that, you know, it could be somewhat jumbled. Like, if you're constantly getting hit at the line of scrimmage before you have a chance to accelerate, like, obviously you're not going to break off a ton of tackles right. and generate a bunch of yardage after contact. Like, it's just not going to happen. But the Rams and the Falcons offensive lines, pretty similar and pretty quality in offensive like rushing. Ah, see, I would say that the pass block or the uh, run blocking aspect of the Falcons' mm, offense. Let's actually, find out. We're, we're going to find out, but I just I appreciate the young talent on that team. They actually might get better. Uh, they might get better. I'm just going back to last year just to see where they both ranked. The Rams were 19th, and the Falcons were. Why can't I find the Falcons? Oh, they were 24th last year. So, so they have to improve and jump the Rams. They do have to jump the Rams, but they have a lot of young players on their offensive line, and they have a lot of like quality draft picks too. They just need to gel as a unit, and all of a sudden you're looking well, a lot better. And in the entire history of the NFL, in the Super Bowl era, Pat, no team has ever had their entire offense all have first round designation tag. Like with it, all, they're all first round picks. So there you go. This is this is world breaking here. Yeah, see, I would see like the two running backs that went ahead of that pack that I just talked about were Mixon and Aaron Jones, and they went like rounds ahead in the draft that we did. I would say that Gurley is somewhere behind those guys, but ahead of the other two guys that I just mentioned. So it was, you said Fournette, Miles Sanders, Chris Carson was thrown into that mix as well as a guy who went around that area. I would just prefer yeah. to have Gurley. No, apparently I'm going to have all of the Leonard Fournette next year. I would take Leonard Fournette over everybody you mentioned. The only He's in the conversation for me with Mixon. That's where he deserves to be. See, I, I think that he's substantially behind that, especially from an offense and talent perspective. But hey, this is why we do these shows, so we can hash it out and argue it a little bit. Melvin Gordon <laughs> ends up going to the Denver Broncos. They still have Royce Freeman. They still have Philip Lindsay at the moment. So it was funny. Like You saw all the different reports of where Melvin Gordon might end up going, and like I can't believe Denver ended up being the spot. I, I think that... <laughs> You're in a situation now where he's probably going to have a very similar role that he did with the Chargers, but just in an offense that isn't as good. And I think in a slightly lesser role than we saw in the second half, because in the second half of last year, from week nine on, once he finally got into the right role of things and, you know, all the excuses of, hey, Melvin Gordon didn't have a true offseason, how healthy was he, you know, how much was he really in shape of football game shape? Because something I told you before, too, when I talked to Mike Tomlin, and when he was talking about some of his concerns with some of the players back in the day, I think this was two years ago when I talked to him and he said this to me, he goes, I have no concern about players showing up in shape. I trust all of them to train. He said, but there's a difference between being in shape and being in football game day shape and being out there for practices and being out there for contact drills and understanding like that's a different type of shape. So the excuse for Melvin Gordon, you know, that took some time. He basically went through his preseason. But once he did, he was RB9 the rest of the way. Austin Eckler was in the teens somewhere. Uh, do I have the? Yeah, Austin Eckler was actually 12th. Actually 12th overall and 12th in points per game. Melvin Gordon was 9th overall and 9th overall in points per game. It's funny how both of them landed right the same no matter which way you cut it. Uh, but if you looked at both of them last year, that's, I think, what you would expect. I, I actually think that's very similar what you're going to expect for the Broncos in use is that Gordon's going to rank in front of Lindsey slightly because I think he will get more of the red zone use than he did Last year with Austin Eckler, obviously, and I do think Philip Lizzie takes a step back, even though they didn't use Phil Royce Freeman a lot. I think that was more a testament to their losing faith in Royce Freeman. 
especially after the injury. But I'm looking here is, yeah, he's going to finish slightly ahead of him. But to your point, lesser offense, lesser effectiveness. So where they're ninth and 12th, I think maybe they're 14th, 13th, and 17th, 18th. So I think they're Melvin Gordon is kind of in the mid to high RB2 range, and I would put Lindsey in the mid to low. Jordan Howard goes to Miami. Is Don't he, care. Is he the guy there, though? Until the draft. They're drafting somebody. They, they, there's they, they a rookie and a rookie. And a rookie doesn't even have to step on the field. He will supplant him from day one because you know how I feel about Jordan Howard. There are 7,000 running backs that can do what Jordan Howard does. You give him the ball. He gets what's given to him. Pretty straight line runner. Somebody's, they're drafting somebody. They're going to replace him. They just move on. And that's why I go back to the show that we were talking about quarterbacks. Why I would just bring in Winston. Forget wasting a pick on, not wasting, you know, Tua might turn out to be a great quarterback and a top 10 player. But you know, instead of drafting a quarterback, go get Winston and then draft, not running back at number four or five, five, yeah, where they draft. But I'm saying get help across your team and then draft with one of your picks and you're getting your running back to answer, whether it's Swift or Jonathan Taylor, whoever it might be, whoever it is, somebody's replacing Jordan Howard. Well, let's say they don't draft anyone. They go into the season with Howard, Bellage, the Laird, and Gaskin. Not, it's going to be no. Howard. No, it's not happening. Not happening. Let's do. I'll do. I'll do a. Forget a one dollar or two dollar loogie or whatever it is. We'll do. Let's put ten dollars on it right now. They're drafting somebody. It's it's called a loony, not a loogie. Yeah, whatever. All right. Uh, Before day three, within the first two days, they are drafting somebody. We'll do it right now. For for Miami's sake, I hope so. But in the context that we're talking about right now, we don't know that. I do know that. I'm saying that's why I'm so confident. That's why I don't even don't waste your time thinking about Jordan Howard. I'm trying to save you time and thought process over here. Okay, JD McKissick ends up going. Also, don't care. Hey, he ends up going to the Skins. Uh, Chris Thompson's not coming back. That is a role yes. that has been fairly pronounced in that offense. Not for like, McKissick, you're going to have Geis. You're going to have AP, who's coming back again. Like they're going to do the majority of the damage on the ground. But if Washington's going to be no good, the pass catching running back might do things. But it's not McKissick. It's Bryce Love. This is only in case Love isn't healthy. This is this McKissick. I wouldn't be shocked. This is not even not on the roster day one. Really? Yeah. Bryce, why is everybody forgetting about Love? Love is terrific. Love was drafted last year, knowing that Chris Thompson was going to be gone this year and saying, hey, let's give him time to get healthy. He can sit out the entire year. Bryce Love's a great talent. Bryce Talent's world's better than McKissick. The only way McKissick has this job that with the one you're talking about is if Love just can't come back and hasn't been able to come back from injury. So this is I want Love. I don't know why everybody's making a big deal of McKissick. It's Love. Where would you uh, where would you put? I mean, obviously Geis over Peterson, but like where does Geis yes. fall in the pantheon of running backs this year? I would put him in actually in the conversation with Melvin Gordon. I think Geis will be involved in the passing game too, more than people realize, just like Leonard Fournette before him. The biggest question, if he's healthy, I think Geis is a very smart one to look at Dalvin Cook or even Miles Sanders as a rookie, but for a different reason. As said, Geis might start off slow, fantasy-wise, touch-wise, but by the time we hit the midpoint and start to roll along, and he is clearly their best option, if healthy, and they're not going to give him 20, 25 touches right out of the gate and risk that, that's why I say be patient with him is either you draft them at a good price and be patient and understanding you're looking for the second half from him or let somebody else and then go vulture trade him, you know, the week six or seven before he turns around. But down the stretch, second half of the season, this is Geis's backfield with love sprinkled in and then AP, I would expect probably like five, eight touches a game. Derek Henry gets franchised by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, is, he a, is he a player you will use a first round pick on this year? I won't. But I think that's where you have to take him. Oh, yeah, he's, de- he's definitely going in the first round. Like, when we 
break it down, you're going to see a lot of people with Derrick Henry maybe inside their top three at running back. Yeah, let's see. That's going to always be hard for me to take, especially half full point PPR. But with him too, you know, go back. This the opposite regression for him is just negative regression. Is you know most running backs don't have even his size, the success rate of touchdowns like that. You know, it should hold for his talent. And you know, but this offensive line. Let's talk about you know, we lost Conklin. That could be a down tick. It should be a down tick. The replacement right now is kind of a journeyman kind of guy. Uh, Tannehill in this offense was remarkably efficient. We've talked about during the season about how Tannehill in this offense was working, obviously not with the yardage, but on the touchdown ratio, whether rushing or receiving. It was on the marks of like that 2016 Falcons team. And just as a whole, Tannehill, the offense, everything should come back more towards the mean. Now, they can still perform above expectations because they are so efficient because it works so well. And let's give credit where credit is due. But I think you have to do look at Henry and say, you know what? A little bit touchdown reliant, not totally obviously led the league in rushing yards, but a little bit touchdown reliant where, you know, if he loses three or four hell, if he loses six or seven, now you're talking about a second rounder. If he just loses three or four, it still has last season. Now he's at the turn early second round. And you're still talking about somebody who's so susceptible to injury. I'm surprised he didn't miss more time than he did last year because the body's so big. His legs take so many shots. He just scares me from an injury standpoint, too. And I know we don't like to predict that, but that's my personal. Like, that's why I wouldn't take him in the first round also. Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook? Dalvin Cook. Derrick Henry? Thought. Derrick Henry or Alvin Kamara? I'll take Kamara. I, th- I think that's going to be a decision a lot of people have to make in the first round when they're selecting between running backs. Those two guys. Yeah, Kamara. Camaro's the exact, he's the perfect example of how touchdowns can swing a running back. You know, and you looked at the year before and you're way over expectation. Now, granted, last year was way under expectation and he's somewhere in between. But if he gets somewhere in between, he's actually finishing kind of like neck and neck with Derrick Henry's season from last year and half in full point PPR. So I would go with Camaro. Okay. Kenyon Drake gets the transition tag. He's going to be on the Arizona Cardinals next year. He is now the running back, and people are drafting him accordingly. Does that make him a top 10 fantasy running back playing for the Cardinals? No, I don't think he's top 10. I don't even think he's an RB1. I think he's a mid-upper. I put him in the Gordon conversation. I think he's a mid-upper RB2. And you know my feelings about Will Fuller, but I bring up Will Fuller for this reason. Because, yes, Drake looked really good. Let's be honest about what Drake is. But I'm going to it right now because I want to get the number exactly right. Of those three games, so here's two things. When he took over, he was RB4 for the rest of the season. So very good from a fantasy point. However, this is where we get into what I, why I hate Will Fuller in fantasy, why I didn't like Deshaun Jackson in his peak seasons. He had 24.2, 31.9, and 39.1 in three of those games where he was the starter. Do you know what percentage of his season that accounted for? 41 very close. Yes. So that was the majority of the season was in those three games. He actually had more single digit performances than people realize. And that's my problem. I do think Drake's great. I actually think he could be more consistent. I'm not putting that as a, a, a zero possibility, but Chase Edmonds, they still like him. Uh, I do think this is another team that whether it's a cast off after free agency kind of runs its course and the draft happens, they're going to act, like, I don't think it's only going to be Drake and Edmonds. And I don't think that third person is going to be involved immensely. But this is a team that's definitely not sold on, hey, we need to give somebody 70% of the share every single week. So I do think Drake deserves, look, he deserves what he got. He deserves the credit, deserves credit for what he did last year. But he's kind of more like an RB15 than an RB10 for me. 
I don't like the Melvin Gordon comparison because there was no chance no, I would draft. No, no, no. I, I, the I, tier. I, I, even the tier. Like, I think Drake is on a tier up from where Melvin Gordon is at with Denver. Mm, okay. I like obviously I haven't done my rankings either, but like I, I, I would I, think I would think that Drake is closer to someone like Chris Carson, like the back end of that tier. I think Chris Carson is too high, but I think Chris I put, I would put Chris Carson in the same tier. No, see, I would have Melvin Gordon way behind those guys. No, I wouldn't. I put Melvin Gordon in with all of them. I think but, you're forgetting how good Melvin Gordon is. Melvin Gordon reeks. Like, he's terrible. So don't worry. Oh about Oh my him. God, is it is he going to be down there with Mark Ingram now? <laughs> I mean. He, he, it was a lot of opportunity-based situations and a good offense that Melvin Gordon really thrived in. We'll see how he does in Denver. I'm not super bullish on that for just okay. a talent and situation standpoint. But, like, I would rather have Devin Singletary than have Melvin Gordon. Like, that would be – like, would you rather have Singletary mm. or Drake? Uh, it would take Drake only because this is another one, and I'm jumping ahead, but I don't think Singletary – I don't think this team is constructed as it is right now. There, I, I, The Bills are adding somebody. The Bills might add someone, but as long as Singletary stays in the higher end of that chair, we've already talked about the touchdown downside because Josh Allen steals so much. But if you can make Singletary the 65% back or the 70% back with someone coming in to spell him, and that remains consistent game to game to game to game, Singletary is going to have value. Oh, absolutely. But I would, I would just, you asked me Drake versus Singletary, and that's all I was just pointing out. Okay, Drake versus Austin Eckler. I'd take Drake. Hmm. I think I take Austin Eckler. Like they're definitely added. That's a situation where someone's going to be added. And the, the, the funny and perfect example is both of those teams, a Jordan Howard type. It's just somebody out there that goes and does what he gets, you know, in that kind of that usage. But I think that's going to be very tough. Te- We're going to have to wait and see. Like, you know, I jumped ahead when I'm saying like predicting what's going to happen and why I told you, I don't care about Jordan Howard with the dolphins. I, I do think I agree with you. I do think both these teams add somebody, but who, you know, there's going to be a big tell of who they add. If the Chargers surprise us and take somebody on day two of the draft, and it's a significant running back out of this draft class, then you ooh, well, now you pull back on Austin Eckler even more, what we talked about in the quarterback show. Uh, if you see the same thing with Devin Singletary, as much as Frank Gore was kind of toast, you know, he still sapped some of Singletary's value, and then you add in the Josh Allen factor, which you just talked about. So I'm just trying to think of Nate, like, I don't think acres would end up in either one of these teams, but if it's somebody with that kind of ability and that kind of strength, they would downgrade a lot. And it would be Drake. And these, I would probably put Singletary and um, who's the other one we were just talking about. It just named just this went out of my mind. I was about to thank you. I would probably put both of them in like a tier behind the Drake. Okay. So the one that I want to kind of compare to Kenyon Drake right now, like I think that Drake is on that girly tier that we talked about before. I like he's in the mix with four Nick. Okay. There's a very interesting name because the Browns have offered the t- the second round tender to Kareem Hunt. So let's assume Kareem right. Hunt comes back. I-, I think that there's a case to be made that Drake might be a more valuable fantasy asset than Nick Chubb is. And I think Chubb's I a be- would- I think Chubb's a- Chubb is a much better player. But we saw the usage go way down when Hunt was around. No, in the passing game. So I, but I that, agree that's, with that. that. That's still a, a large part of it, too, though. Like, if if we're going to ding Derrick Henry because he's not involved in the passing game, it appears like Dick Chubb might even do less than Henry in the passing game. Mm, I'm trying to, like, I'm looking because I, I remember he was still getting two or three or four targets. He was. He was still getting, let's see, uh, basically once Hunt came around, 5-4-1-4-2-1-3-1-2. So there's a lot so, of ones sprinkled in there. Yeah, but, that's, not, that's not great. <laughs> no, it's not. But, I mean, we're also talking 4-2-3-1-1-3 in reception. So there's still some there. You know, 20-plus points in two of those games. 
nine and eight are the floor. So let's just run through the games. 11, 13, 9, 24, 8, 12, 22, 5. Baltimore to finish things off. I'm taking that over Kareem, or Kenyon Drake because the go by, by my point here, I'll give you the Drake. And this is why the Drake. I'll give you the Drake. And this is my concern with him to go since when he took over, which was week nine against San Francisco, where he shocked the world. 24, 7, 11, 6, 8, 39, 32, which of course, great timing, 15 and 16. So you have a 7, 6, 8, and 11 versus Nick Chubb, you know, 9 and 8 being the lows with 12, 13, 11, and 14. It's a conversation. I'm not saying it's not a conversation worth having, but I would give Chubb the slight edge. I'm, uh, I'll put it this way. I think they're close. I think they deserve to be in the same tier in the same conversation, but I would take Nick Chubb. I, I could see myself taking Nick Chubb as well, but I when people just automatically think about these situations, they would have Chubb much higher than someone like Drake. And I actually do think yeah. that they're somewhat close. And that that's certainly a fair point to make is that it's not as large gap as the perception probably is that's out there, especially when drafted and credit also though, for the Browns, they did address the offensive line. So that should be better too. We remember how many times, how many times did we watch Nick Chubb go over three at the goal line? Oh, not sure. only go over three and then get a second chance to go over three again. I think Nick Chubb probably gets a few more touchdowns next year. Oh yeah. I mean, you talked about Leonard Fournette and his positive touchdown regression based off opportunity. Nick Chubb would also fall into that bucket. They were the two most unlucky per the amount of attempts that they had getting into the end zone. So yes, an improved offensive line would definitely come along with that with Gurley out of LA. Who is the Rams running back that you think is the one? Is it Henderson? It's Henderson for me. And so for sure? I'm going to go back to uh, for me, if Con- it's for sure. But so confidence ranking that it is Henderson. Well, so confidence ranking. So there's two different confidence rankings. Like, oh, I'll, oh, confidence ranking that it is. When I include all the factors, I'll give it a 6.5 out of 10. If okay. you talk me because I don't trust the Rams. I think the Rams do like Malcolm Brown, but Malcolm Brown for me is Jordan Howard. Everybody does what Malcolm Brown does. Malcolm Brown is nothing special. Daryl Henderson. I had last year as one of two running backs in tier one, the other being Josh Jacobs. I think Henderson's that good. Now Henderson's similar to the Austin Eckler. And I think that's a good thing. We're talking about Austin Eckler is that even if he's the guy, I think he's going to be the Austin Eckler guy. Malcolm Brown will still be involved enough where Henderson's not going to be touching the ball 20, 25, 30 times a game. He's not going to be running the ball 15 plus times a game, but he doesn't need to be, especially in this offense. He can be their Austin Eckler. I said, go ahead and cold take me or old take me, whatever that account is. Go ahead and do it now. Tag this tweet because I said, as of today, Daryl Henderson is the 2020 version of Austin Eckler. Now, the Rams could draft somebody and ruin everything for Malcolm Brown, too. And the Rams also, as we saw last year, you know, Henderson wasn't 100% healthy at times and didn't get a lot of touches as a rookie, maybe they don't trust them. Maybe there's something not, we're not seeing in practice because we have these things all the time where, you know, we go back to uh, Lamar Miller for the entire time with the Dolphins. Everybody said, give him more touches, give him more touches, give him more touches. He gets more, and he performs the same less efficiently because the Dolphins knew. He just can't handle being a 20-plus touch guy uh, a game. So maybe there's something there, and that's why I give it a 6.5. Talent-wise, I would give him, over Malcolm Brown, I would give him like a 9, 9.5. He's definitively more talented. All right, before we jump into wide receivers and talk about DeAndre Hopkins once again on the Arizona Cardinals, going back to that offense, let's talk about the other side. David Johnson is in Houston. He's <laughs> going to be their starting running back. Duke Johnson is still there. We, like, I have, this is the toughest one for me to figure out because I can't figure out if David Johnson is just cooked or 
do I really want to trust people in the Texans' backfield? I have no idea how this shakes out. But like, initially I was thinking, would I rather have, like, James Conner and Le'Veon Bell than David Johnson? And I was like, yeah, the answer is yes. I would rather have those guys than David Johnson this year. Mm, I wouldn't rather have James Conner. That's another one. I don't think that – I think the Steelers are addressing that just because they don't trust James Conner. Like, you told me 100% yeah, we, we, healthy. We can't, listen, listen, we're talking as it stands right now. We can't just project drafts <laughs> onto everyone. As it stands right now, I'd rather have those two guys in the situation they're in over David Johnson. All right. Fair enough. Uh, as of right now, yes. Uh, so James Conner, yes. Uh, David Johnson, I would draft as an RB3 who has top 15 upside. I still think he has top 15 upside. But if you want to talk about watching somebody, as you said, like, I don't, whew, you, even if you said, hey, let, I'll give you this as a fact right now, Pat, if I said 90% Todd Gurley, you get next year, you get 90% of David Johnson too. You get that. I would take the 90% of Todd Gurley. The thing is, I think it's a lot more likely you get that from Todd Gurley than you do from David Johnson because we all saw him last year. That back, whatever is wrong with him, the one play that everybody kept showing on random repeat highlights, he looked like he was walking through the line of scrimmage. Like There is something significantly wrong with him. The Houston Texans seem to not think so, especially if you look at that trade on face value. And that's why I say he still has top 15 upside because on this team, He's going to be the guy. I mean, he's going to see 18, 20 touches a game, even with Duke Johnson. They barely used him after trading for him last year. David Johnson is going to be the guy. And David Johnson is going to be in the offense with DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, no, not anymore. Deshaun Watson, <laughs> at least. So I made that joke to say, you know, again, you said as of today, you project they draft the wide receiver. Well, if not, as of today, even if they do, David Johnson, if he's out there and he's healthy for 15, 16 games, he's probably looking at 90 targets because there's going to need to throw to him 90 times. As it stands again today, carry on Johnson or David Johnson. <sighs> David Johnson. David, I want nothing to do with the Lions backfield. David Johnson or David Montgomery. I'd rather go for the upside. I'll go David Johnson. I, I But you don't have to pay. Actually, you know what? You probably will have to pay that. So there's going to be somebody in all the drafts that are going to draft David Johnson on the RB2 price. Marlon Mack. Or David Johnson? Mac. Yeah, so he's going to be like the mid-20s when it comes down to running back rankings. But see, I won't pay for that. You wouldn't pay mid-20s at running back for David Johnson if you think that he is top? He could be like a No, because I want him as... If, want, well, okay, if I, if, I, if I already had two running backs, I could swallow it and draft them there, but I don't want to... I don't want to... I don't want to take him as my RB2. My RB2. If it's mid-late 20s... And he's my RB3. Yes, absolutely. I want him as my RB3. And once we get some more clarity, obviously post-draft, there's still a bunch of free agents at running back who have yet to sign. We'll re-up on that and reassess the situation as it drops down. But those are our initial thoughts on the running backs. DeAndre Hopkins traded to the Arizona Cardinals for David Johnson. We rehashed this the moment it happened. Have you changed your feelings a little bit at all? We were kind of bickering between whether he's wide receiver two or five kind of thing, but he's still going to be great. <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, I, I still haven't. I told you I would still take him over Julio, but I think, I, and I would, and, and, and as it stands right now, I would still take Julio. Yeah, see, and that's just a, that's where we came down on the difference. We both agreed, we both agreed, Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams, and we just split hairs on the difference between Julio and DeAndre Hopkins. I'm taking Hopkins. I think it's very conceivable that he repeats exactly what he did last year in his down year. And I know that wasn't wide receiver forty. Actually, finished behind Julio last year, but. I think if you look at the improvement of Calvin Ridley, I just start, you know, and it comes down to injury history too with Julio Jones. That's just every week the dude's foot, something wrong with his foot and his ankle is up foot. And DeAndre Hopkins just be, I actually think DeAndre Hopkins is going to improve on last year's numbers in his down year. And that's where I'm going with this is that Hopkins down year at worst is wide receiver seven. And that's why I'm taking him. 
And with the shakedown of the rest of the Cardinals offense in terms of receivers, we both agree that it's Christian Kirk, not Larry Fitzgerald, that you'd want to, as a wide receiver four or five with some upside. Uh, I would actually, yeah, I would take him as a wide receiver four securely as a wide receiver four, because I actually think he has wide receiver three upside trying to figure out like where he's going to go. The names, like if it's between him, Debo, Mike Williams, what do you think? I would take him third. I would deep Debo. I mean, you know, I'm a huge fan of Debo. Um, I am. I, and second. again, I, 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 now I'm guilty of the, trying to project forward, but if it's not Tyrod as the charger, if it's Jameis, then I like Mike Williams <laughs> a lot more. You know what I mean? I like Mike Williams in the same conversation, even if it is Tyrod. I think Debo, I wouldn't even put Debo on the tier with those two. I put Debo in a different conversation. You put Debo on like a tier up. Yeah. Okay. And then I think it's a toss up between those two. Stefan Diggs traded to the Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia, all fired up. I actually like this landing spot for him a lot. And people are just talking about Josh Allen sucks. He can't do anything. Josh Allen's not the greatest. Not going to lie to you. But. John Brown was a very capable fantasy receiver last year, and Diggs is going to do a lot of what John Brown did and get let John Brown back to doing what he does really well. But Josh Allen's going to throw it up and let you make a play on it. Uh, and Stefan Diggs is a quality route runner who creates separation very quickly in routes. Good news for Josh Allen. Fits the theme with a lot of guys they have on this team. Plus, he's just immensely skilled. Uh, I think that he could challenge being a top 10 receiver this year. Like we talked about the bucket on the previous show with the DJ Moores and the T.Y. Hiltons and the Mike Evans. People are going to downgrade Stefan Diggs and not put him in that tier because he plays for the Bills. I think that he's in that tier. He might not have the upside of some of those guys, but I, I think he can get there just based on volume. I don't. I actually don't, I, and not just to like you know whatever. But for here's a couple things. Last year, Stephen Diggs, wide receiver, nineteen. John Brown, even for whatever he did, wide receiver, twenty three. Uh, and I bring that up for a couple reasons because I think the John Brown part is to uh, part of the conversation to have with Diggs. And I bring up Diggs last two seasons in the article. So the last two seasons, two years ago, he had one hundred and forty nine targets, finished with one hundred two for ten twenty one and nine touchdowns. The touchdowns were pretty high. This past season, ninety three targets. 63 receptions, actually more yards, 1,130, and six touchdowns. Again, that was wide receiver 19. My point is those 63 for 1,130 in this offense seems like a kind of a high ask. And if you're telling me that Diggs has to get 150 targets to get the year before, which was the 100 receptions in 1021, I don't think he gets 150 targets in this offense with Josh Allen. So does he fall somewhere in between like 120, 130? If so, I think he should do better than the 63 receptions, maybe 70 to 80. And all that put together says, well, guess what? Wide receiver two. And I think he's in the teens. I don't think wide receiver one is even feasible, in my opinion. I think that town can overcome. You're right. The, him getting to that upside is going to be a bit more difficult. Like, I would rather have Thielen than have Diggs going into the season. Yes. But I don't think that's the way that's going to be priced. I think price-wise, when you're drafting them, like, you're going to have your pick between Diggs, Allen Robinson and Cortland Sutton. And I would had rather have Diggs than any of those guys. Then Stiggs goes Cortland Sutton. Who was the other one? Uh, I said Allen Robinson. Uh, I would take Allen Robinson up thousand. Then I'm in question. Allen Robinson top 10 this year. I he was 12 it. with Trubisky. Yeah. We'll see how that ends up going. Now that Anthony Miller's but, back in the fold. No, I'm not taking look Diggs talent. Sure. Here's the difference too, though. Kirk cousins, 69 completion percentage. You know, 59, 58.8 for Josh Allen. Yes, this is 
we talked about this during the season and I'm like, I would just want to say this is, I was on the side on your show saying that how the bills addressed the wide receiver position after copying what they did with Cam Newton. Once Cam Newton finally started to address some of his issues for everybody that missed that at the time, the whole point was that the Panthers tried to give Cam Newton big guys to throw to because they're like, Oh, they'll catch it more easily because it doesn't have to be on target because they're so big and they have a wide receipt, you know, wide reception radius and all that type of stuff. That's faulty, as we saw. Cam Newton improved once you started getting guys who know how to get open in space, can adjust the ball quicker with their steps. And you saw that same thing with Josh Allen, with the addition to Cole Beasley and the way they looked at this offense. And John Brown actually does more than people think, even downfield. So you saw that improvement. Well, that does help. Stefan Diggs is that kind of thing. But even with that, he still only completed 59%. I just, that's my problem. I think you need 130, 120 targets just to get 70, 80 receptions because the completion percentage is just not going to be there. So that's where we differ. I think he's a wide receiver too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him in close to Allen Robinson. So yeah, I, and I would much prefer to have him than Allen Robinson going into the year. We'll see how that ends up going down. AJ Green back with a franchise tag to the Bengals did not play at all last year it's just I just think having the year off you come back you're rested you're healthy like he is a guy that I I talked about it in that draft that I did I gambled on AJ Green he's not going to go super highly in drafts basically he's going to go where people drafted him this year in like the seventh round and I'm, I'm good with taking that shot knowing that he's healthy coming into the year at that range absolutely because he's David Johnson of wide receivers give him give him to me, as a wide receiver three, knowing as top 15 upside, knowing A.J. Green, talent-wise, arguably, de- probably definitively still inside the top 10, arguably inside the top five talent. But what is he? It's not just one season. It's three past three years of being banged up and hurt. So I don't even think he has a full 16 games over the past three seasons, does he? I don't know. Point being... I, I, I have no problem taking him in the wide receivers or in the seventh round as a wide receiver three because he's going to be if you're taking him in the seventh round, he's at least your wide receiver. He might be your wide receiver four because that's seven rounds. You if you're not drafting a quarterback or tight end at that point, you probably have three running backs. I don't see you going fourth running back over AJ Green, what's probably going to be there. So I would absolutely take him in the seventh round. Danny Amendola is back with the Lions. No one really cares about that, just like no one cares about (laughs) Nelson Aguilar going to the Raiders. One, I do care about Emmanuel Sanders going to the Saints. Do we think – how viable does that make him this season? (laughs) Zero. Oh, you can't see me. I forget you can't see me. I was holding up my hand, putting a zero there. Like, for real life, this is great. But the Saints, with their number two wide receiver, I mean, look, with Lance Moores and Devery Hendersons and Kenny Stills and Ted Ginns. And uh, yeah, at the end of the year, they might finish as a wide receiver, too. But good luck guessing the game. You know who they are? The Saints wide receiver, too, is Jared Cook. Get, tell me what games it's happening. I would love to know what games it's happening because you're not going to be able to predict it. That's the biggest problem. Especially Drew Brees is back, baby. Drew Brees being back any given game goes to random tight end, goes to Jared Cook, goes to Michael Thomas 17 times, goes to the backfield more. You just never know what game it's going to be. So at the end of the year, somebody, at this case, Emmanuel Sanders, is going to be a number two, probably wide receiver three-ish this year, given all the talent that's out there. But you're just not going to be able to predict game to game who it is. So zero, I want no, I don't want to deal with Emmanuel Sanders. Because you either plug him in your lineup for the entire season or you don't, and you're going to miss the games trying to guess. So I'd rather not, because you're not going to be able to guess. Well, this, this sounds like a good, uh, good, good crutch. Be like, just draft him in best ball. Oh God, yeah, everybody's draftable. In, I'm draftable in best ball. <laughs> You're gonna have that one big year. No, I'm uh, not. 
Amari Cooper re-signed with the Cowboys, five years, $100 million. Oh, our favorite guy. Yeah. I, this, this has to be, you know, he's so hard for me to figure out. I'm not good. Like, he's really good at home. Uh, that has been fairly consistent since he's been on the Cowboys. But you bring Dak back, you bring Cooper back, and the band is back together. I just I have such a tough time figuring out where to draft him. Like, do you draft taking out our bias against Amari Cooper? Because I think this will be a decision <laughs> that people actually have to make. And our answer would probably be Mike Evans, but that's around the range where he's going to go. It is, and for another one, he's a perfect example. In those games, it's actually worth it. Kenyon Drake was actually almost at 50% for those three games. Uh, for Amari Cooper's three 20-plus point games, 40.6%. That's why. Like, this is why you and I, this is why we hate Amari Cooper. Let somebody else draft him as a wide receiver one, and he'll finish as a wide receiver one off three or four giant games, a couple good games, and a lot of single. Go look at how many single-digit performances he had. That's the problem with Amari Cooper. Uh, yeah, I will take him as a wide receiver too. He just never lasts to wide receiver two. I would put... You know what? To go back to the conversation, if you told me I have to choose one in my draft and they both go back to back, which isn't going to happen, but if they went back to back, I'd rather take the consistency, even playing for Josh Allen, of Stefan Diggs over Amari Cooper. That's really interesting because those two guys are not going to go anywhere near each other because Cooper no, will be a not. part. He'll be drafted as a part of a tier with Evans, Godwin, Galladay, Beckham, DJ Moore. I feel like that's the range in which he's going to go. So yeah, he'd be yeah. Like, he'd be last of those guys. <laughs> Yeah, you know where he deserves to go in that place? And best ball. <laughs> yeah. But it reminds me, he reminds me a lot, and he has a far more accomplished career than this guy, at least what he's proven on the field, because he does put up fantasy numbers. Remember for years, people would just draft Sammy Watkins as an elite player, despite the fact that he would do nothing? <laughs> and Sammy Watkins for those first, or, well, usually a lot of those games came early in the season, didn't they? But yeah, like three or four giant games. And then, you know, hopefully he can smooth it out every single year. And Mark Cooper said... Not let's talk about the other part of it too. Michael Gallup towards the end of the season was more consistent and reliable than Amari Cooper was for the Cowboys. So yeah, you just take one of the other guys and get discount Amari Cooper and you're on your way. There you go. Take uh, uh take Diggs and Gallup and enjoy yourself. So Cobb goes from the Cowboys to the Texans. So they lose DeAndre Hopkins, get David Johnson, and Randall Cobb looking good on offense in Houston. Could he have a fantasy? Sneaky. Well, if there's if it's just Will Fuller, and that's like your entire receiving core, like him and Kiki, and, Kenny Stills, and Kenny Stills, but you introduce like they they, they Bill O'Brien seems to want nothing to do with Kiki Cutie, so you insert Cobb into that slot role. It feels like a lot of targets could funnel there. We've seen that before, and then if Fuller goes out, as long as you don't bump him to the outside and you keep Kenny Stills on the outside with someone else, maybe DeAndre Carter or something, then. Randall Cobb's probably going to get like I could see him having a year like Cole Beasley had last year, which is I think that, worth owning. Yeah. And that's a very good comparison. I actually was going to say I could see him having similar numbers to Emmanuel Sanders, but being a lot more consistent without the peaks. And if you're looking for that in PPR, especially in full PPR, wide receiver four price, and you can probably get wide receiver three consistent production. It'll be similar to Le'Veon Bell finishing as RB two last year. You were never excited about Le'Veon Bell. But it was like RB2, 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 RB3, RB but RB2. And he just never hit RB1. Well, that'll be Cobb. Goldie is a good comparison. So I think that's uh, something you would look at. If you want the consistency, I would take Cobb over Emmanuel Sanders, despite Emmanuel Sanders probably finishing with slightly better numbers. If you didn't know, because I assume you do, how old Randall Cobb was, what would you say? Oh, 28. He's, 20, right. he's 29. I would have guessed like 47. 
I was going to say, like, football-wise, he feels like he's more like 35. Yeah, he's, it feels like he's been in our lives for two decades, and he, he has not. <laughs> it does. Yeah, well, I mean, that's he had the what, one season where Jordy Nelson and him both finished as top 10 wide receivers. Yeah, I think it, that's why. I think it's because Jordy Nelson was already getting old at that point. It, it does seem telling to me that they bring in Mike McCarthy. Maybe it's because he was able to fetch so much from the Texans, but Mike McCarthy comes into Dallas and Cobb immediately gone. <laughs> I know. That's why I actually thought Cobb was a good chance to come back if he would. Uh, maybe they didn't want to spend that much money, but I thought that was going to be a, you know, hey, Mike McCarthy knows and Mike McCarthy used him, and that was going to just hurt like Jarwin, but good news as of right now. So the rest of the signings, as of right now, there's still more receivers to go down. As we speak, Robbie Anderson hasn't signed anywhere. Eventually he's going to go to a location. Maybe it's, back to, maybe it's back to the Jets. Who knows? Brashad Perriman hasn't signed yet either. Seth Roberts signed in Carolina to take over that Jarius Wright spot that just everyone on that team wears fucking teens in their numbers. And you always think, like, oh, sweet, DJ Moore or, and or Curtis Samuel catch. No, that's, uh, that's Jarius Wright <laughs> bonus. So he's gone. <laughs> Seth Roberts is in. Uh, Demir Bird. There was one other, wasn't there? I thought because like, there was wasn't there a guy in his teens also on that team that stole something one week and like everybody was just like, who the freaking hell was that? I mean, I remember they had Chris Hogan, but I feel like he never played. No, he didn't. I'm trying to find it right. Oh, Brandon Zilstra. He was 11. Okay, I don't even remember that. Uh, my my <laughs> mind has gone to mush. But uh, let's see here. Who are the other ones? Pharaoh Cooper. He's back with Carrie. He signed with Carolina as well. So maybe they'll be in battle with each other your guy cody core he's back with the giants fake mike thomas signed with the Bengals. uh d'anthony thomas re-signed with the baltimore ravens so expect him to have one game where he scores like three touchdowns and you don't hear from him <laughs> the rest of the year demir bird goes from the cardinals to the patriots though i like demir bird and i'm not sure why but he'll be a decent special teamer for them nonetheless uh so i'll just take the words out of that that all that matter i'm not sure why either i can't tell you and, and that's really it for receiver. There wasn't as big yeah. of a receiver. I, I think people, like you keep kind of saying, that people are so prepped for this draft and the depth of talent at receiver in the draft that that's where they're going to go. That's what, yeah. And this isn't like, oh, look at what I said. But, you know, we talked about this a few months ago before we even did the first free agency. There's going to be a lot of veterans sitting out there waiting for jobs. And I feel like you know, I say that, and I, I guess you probably sense the tone. Like, I feel bad for them. I feel bad. There's going to be a lot of people that don't think have jobs next year. D deeper down, I'd like Robbie Anderson, Brashard Perriman are going to have jobs. But some of the running backs that haven't signed yet, I wouldn't be surprised if Lamar Miller's scratching a clone to find somewhere to play. Some of those receivers you mentioned down the list, like, there's just not going to be jobs because there's this draft class is unfortunately super talented for them at both positions. They're just, <laughs> why why spend the money when you can go draft somebody on day three pay them close to league minimum for four years it's just there's no reason for it that's how i felt about the melvin gordon signing like why spend the money on melvin gordon i i generally uh, to go back on that while i'm more fond of melvin gordon than you are uh both for the landing spot and the fantasy opportunity here like that's not the greatest landing spot but i'm just saying i i liked him more than you did I still don't think it made a whole lot of sense for anybody to really sign him. I actually thought Melvin Gordon might take a little bit longer. I did think he was going to be signed before the draft, but I thought it was going to be somebody more like after this wave has kind of gone through and then say, you know what, you know, we'll address other things with our draft picks and go, go pick them up. Like I was actually shocked and maybe they had already talked to him that the dolphins went and got Howard and then just try Melvin Gordon and say, you know what, we'll save because we're not ready to contend right now. We'll save, you know, next year to go draft the running back. Uh, but maybe Melvin Gordon just had no interest in going there, which I would certainly understand. 
Well, this is from, this will time date the show, but Graham Barfield, formerly of NFL Network, he's moving on to somewhere else. A good, great follow on Twitter, at Graham Barfield. But most yards per carry on inside attempts. So between the tackles since 2016, goal line carries excluded. Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, one, two, three, all, and Mark Ingram, ugh, all above five yards per carry. Philip Lindsay and Nick Chubb, both at five yards per carry. Then we scroll down a little bit. David Johnson, 43rd at 3.9 yards per carry. Let's scroll down a little bit more. 51st of 57 qualifiers. Melvin Gordon, 3.6 yards per carry. And that's how yeah, he's, and that's how they're probably going to use him in Denver. Here's the good thing. Denver's offensive line, like there are a lot of those years. This is not just last year. That offensive line charge has been miserable for a long time. True. And Denver's offensive line it was they've added to it. It actually looks quite good, but I'm just not convinced Melvin Gordon's any good. Certainly fair, but he's also somebody that's similar to DeMarco Murray, you know, versus where they've used him in too much space. You want to get Melvin Gordon used a little bit more in space. Uh, He's not the best between the tackles. He was never the best between the tackles. He's better than that number would suggest, though. Again, to go back, which just seemed to be like the running theme of the two free agent shows that we're doing is don't get too hung up in one stat or one number or one metric. No, but if it supports my case, that's the only stat that matters, Jake. That's how it works. That's that's how it always is, 100%. (laughs) Ask everybody how they feel about passing on DK Metcalf after the three-cone bonanza. Yeah, well, that was just a really bizarre metric to be like, oh, his three-cone sucks. He's no good. Like, that's a really weird one to, like, double down on. Well, look, but there's a a flip side to it, too, is you could say, look, if the Seahawks forced – DK Metcalf to do more than he was able to, which is run a lot of the routes that the three cone tells you people can run. He's not great at running across the middle of the field. He's not great at breaking off his routes and putting defenders on their heels as he gains separation from his route running. They used them almost exclusively on one side of the field. They used them almost exclusively in deep developing routes. They used his strength. They didn't ask him to do more. DeMarco Murray was asked to do more as we saw and it failed with the Eagles. Melvin Gordon, when you ask him to do too much at the middle, is going to fail. So to your point, maybe, hey, if the Broncos continue to just run inside the tackles 80% of the time, no, Melvin Gordon is probably not going to look that good next year either. I think that also speaks to good coaching as well. That's an underrated part where people end up going. Like if Pete Carroll knows and is willing to utilize you in the way that best suits your abilities, I think that's the makings of a good coach. He might not be the best coach across the board, but knowing and understanding the skill sets of your players is really, I mean, it's a Bill Belichick thing too. Like he's not the best at receivers for it, but the rest of his guys, he knows where he can use them on the field and let them play to their strengths. Some coaches are just horrendous at this. Oh, you mean like Freddie Kitchens? Hey, my depleted offensive line can't get anything for Nick Chubb. I'm going to run him up the middle again. Oh, it failed. I'm going to run him up the middle again. Oh, we get three new downs. Ah, well, let's do it three more times. Yeah, that would be exactly that. That's why you see some guys keep their jobs and other guys uh, become tight ends coaches on the Giants. <laughs> Evan Ingram. Look yeah. at Levine, Levine Toilolo. Go. Hey, the guy's a blocking sensation. Uh, last right. one last one I wanted to hit before I let you out of here, and this is hard to answer because we don't know who the quarterback is going to be, but what the hell happens to the Patriots wide receivers? Because I was going to take Nikhil Harry in the very like last few rounds of that draft I was in, then someone actually took him before I did, but there's an opportunity for someone like him to really bust out this year with the right situation. Yeah, and like so I'm looking right now, the depth chart is Harry and Edelman as the one and two. Demir, Demir Bird. Bird, you mentioned before. Well, Muhammad Sanu, people forgot about him oh, yeah. coming off. Like, it's, it's Jacoby Myers, converted quarterback, who's still developing. And then I was seeing, I feel like you know, Dorsett's gone. 
and uh, that's pretty much it. Those are the only, but it's kind of a hog hogpodge right now behind uh, Edelman, a, like a, a hodgepodge. Like, how good is Edelman going to be without Brady? Like, everyone is just writing in the drop off for Edelman, you know, based on age, based on not having Tom Brady. That could be a factor in this, but like, could he retain his value with the right guy or improve it with the right? With the right guy, he definitely could. You know, like Philip Rivers went there. I think that Joe Manuel would be fine. You know, look, Cam Newton ends up there. I think he'll be fine. I think if Cam Newton's anything like he used to be, uh, like Cam Newton probably makes Nikhil Harry pretty damn good too. Nikhil Harry is very talented. Whether Nikhil Harry is fully off that injury, whether Nikhil Harry has developed as a player and not made some of the bonehead decisions he was making that also got him under the coach's uh, or got him on the coach's bad side. That's to be answered. I mean, look, Jacoby Myers looked good in the slot at times, looked good outside at times as well. So it's not necessarily 100% Harry's job. Harry needs to prove himself at this point. He wouldn't be the first player ever to say, look at all the talent, look at all the ability, and completely bomb in the NFL. So I think that Harry is a nice pick, especially now, depending on who the quarterback. Because if, if Cam Newton does come in, Harry's price tag is going to skyrocket. If Jameis Winston goes in, it's going to freaking what's, – what's more than skyrocketing? So – you know, there's opportunity definitely here if it, it's what they have right now. Eh, I, I got to say, we can't feel too great about it. Stidham and I guess they draft somebody on top of it. Or, I mean, I think even Andy Dalton coming would make you feel a little bit better, too. Yeah, I, I think that Andy Dalton is underrated as a free agent in all of this. I think wherever he goes, he's going to be pretty good. Well, trade, isn't it? They still own him, so that's the problem. Yeah, but it's going to be like the Cam thing. If they can't find a trade partner, they're just going to cut him. It's a lot yeah. of money. It's a lot of money to keep around. Well, it's, it's, yeah, you got to force their hand at this point. So and I think that's what teams are trying to do. I think yeah, to your point, I, I would still expect Dalton to be a backup, but I think the one place where I could see him starting are, is the Patriots. Yeah, you could start for the Chargers too. I actually thought that he would have been a cheaper alternative to Tom Brady. And just well, now good. you go back to your argument you made before on the quarterback show. Why would you bring in Dalton though with Tyrod behind him? Because now you're going back to what your situation was before. It's too. Because, because if you bring in Andy Dalton, you draft someone as well. And then you just get rid of Tyrod. <laughs> I don't think they're getting rid of Tyrod. Yeah, well, we'll see. Anthony Lynn loves some Tyrod. We, we have a bunch of time to see how all this actually plays out, so we won't even try speculating. Jake, thank you for being on. You can follow Jake on Twitter, at AllInKid. Tell people once again about The Athletic and what they can get over there these days. And we might even do an N64 game draft coming up because we need content. <laughs> Yeah, we are doing that. Well, I'm doing that. Yeah, just for fun. Hey, mate, maybe I'll put that over on the athletic. You're going to be in it. Just, just trying to fill out the 12. I'm mostly, I haven't finished it yet because I'm trying to remember who was in the 12 draft to begin with. It was so many years ago, but yeah, 64 bit and under. Last time it was 16 bit and under. But yeah, the athletic, just go find my free agent column, whether through the tweet or go through the site. When you sign up, whoever, if you're new to the athletic, I say new, if you're new to the athletic, 90 free days. It's not seven day free trial, it's 90. You can read all that stuff. You can read the random columns that are going out there. Nando's covering this weather battle app or something like that. I don't even know what the heck that is. It's like you predict the weather every single day. It's just ideas galore because all we have is football and a bunch of sports on hiatus. So fortunately, like I said, the 90 days should hopefully take you to when everything's back. Uh, for me, you can follow me Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the PME. I have some evergreen shows up on the Pat Mayo Experience video and audio feeds right now that if you're bored, Go back and binge them. They're still good for the moment. Also, if you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you like about this show. Boom, you're in that draw for 100 DK bucks. You want to be in a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars? Smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me where you would rank 
Todd Gurley in PPR scoring at running back entering the next fantasy football season. As it stands right now, no wrong answers. It's a random draw. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. Check out part one in the description of this podcast or video. And they'll do it for me. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll see you then. Experience! Experience!